Welcome to Antibodies. This is our 10th body sword and joining me today is and Dr. Anthea E. Wheel. That never gets old. Never gets old. <laughs> the paper we're going to discuss today is very, I, I would say it has changed the way I have been thinking about T-cells and it was brought to my notice by one of the followers on our Facebook page. Let me quickly uh, find out uh, who it was because I know I posted a meme on Facebook about interleukin-2 and T-cells and somebody commented and said that well there is something wrong about this and actually this is what the real deal is. So he sent me a paper and here it is, he, he, his name is Eugenio Contreras Castillo. He sent me this paper and it was it was a pretty good one. I, I thought this is com- totally worth discussing on our body sword episode and yeah when i forwarded you the paper what did you think about it oh man i i got excited all over again because a lot of my work uh for graduate studies was uh based on t-cell signaling and just how to regulate uh this inflammatory response and i actually did some work on um il2 stimulation in certain cells that I'll just wait for our publication mm-hmm. to come out for, for others to uh, take a look at. But um, it, it was just this whole paradigm of IL-2 and uh, the competition it plays with how uh, inflammatory responses even, you know, mm-hmm. are influenced. Yeah. So re- really exciting. The paper we're going to discuss today is titled Differential IL-2 Expression Defines Developmental Fates of follicular versus non-follicular helper T-cells. The first author is uh, Dr. Daniel D. Torona, he's graduated. And the last or the corresponding author is Dr. Casey T. Weaver. These guys were in University of Alabama, Department of Pathology at the time of publication. And there is some pretty interesting stuff here. Before we jump into the paper, this has been a customary of this podcast that we go for some basic terminology. So people who are new, they don't feel completely left out. Of course, it's not possible to discuss all the terms because, well, there are a lot of terms. So if you have been following this podcast and you have, if you have watched the Immunology 101 series and if you have been watching the previous episodes, some of the terms were covered there. The first term is cytokines. Cytokines, that is something that everyone should get more familiar with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, lots of times, you know, even during this pandemic, people talk about antibodies, right? But cytokines actually has a bigger influence uh, than people actually acknowledge as far as, you know, even if you're not in the science world. Um, but cytokines are actually a, a chemical messenger that um sets the stage for surrounding immune cells or even cells in general honestly to uh react to whatever the site of injury or whatever the site of inflammation or anti-inflammation or insert problem here Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh these chemical messengers are uh are what gives the instructions towards the surrounding cells and sometimes distant cells as well too yeah these are just messengers and you're right for laymen 
uh, general public they don't know about this term cytokines they usually hear the terms antibodies and because they're right, very easy right. to grasp but yeah cytokines are a big part of the immune right. system it's a very diverse topic and diverse. <laughs> there is there is no way we could discuss uh, everything about cytokines in a podcast but what the one cytokine that we're going to discuss today is called interleukin 2 and conventionally it has been seen as a growth factor for t cells and yes that's right. also helps in their activation interleukin 2 is made by t cells themselves and so far up to my knowledge i i used to think that there is autocrine t uh, signaling that means the cell that produces mm, il2 yeah. also responds to il2 through its receptor and my oh my i was wrong well, not necessarily all the way off, though, Jatin, because uh, IL-2 can actually be signaled through um, endocrine, paracrine, and also autocrine signaling as well, too. Primarily, I would probably say uh, it's more influence over the surrounding area just because you need more speedily activation, mm-hmm. but um, but it actually can can do all three. Yeah, well, there is one way that's more dominant, and that's what the paper is going to show us. But anyway, before we go there, then we move to T-cells. Well, we have discussed T-cells a lot, but again, T-cells are a kind of lymphocytes that are born in the bone marrow from hematopoietic stem cells. Then they move to the thymus for their training period where they're educated about what's foreign, or more like what's self and what is not and then they make it out after their training is complete they either die if they are not able to re-educate themselves or if they do know what's the difference between self and non-self they make it out and they circulate our 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 different organs or they just go to the secondary lymphoid organs now in these t-cells there are different types of t-cells and do you want to discuss just broadly what are some different types of t-cells yeah, sure. So, um, actually, before I take the step on talking about these different types of T cells, I want to mention when you uh, discussed having these hematopoietic stem cells, they differentiate into these T cells and so forth and so forth. Um, these are influenced each step by cytokines. Oh, yes. So, just remember <laughs> that as well, too. <laughs> so, as we talked about before, they're chemical messengers. So, if you run into a naive T cell, it'll say, you know, you'll have a cytokine that says, hey, you're supposed to mature into this type of T cell. Let me influence you this way. So remember, again, these cytokines are playing a huge role in how these cells are being differentiated, which, again, IL-2 is one of the big factors of this paper today. Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, there's, we'll say, two subgroups of T cells that uh, the paper heavily discussed. Mm-hmm. And one is follicular helper T cells or follicular T helper cells, whatever order you want to put mm-hmm. that in. Uh, but these T cells actually migrate to B cell follicles uh, post-activation. So they're actually the... Um, uh, the interactors with B cells in the lymph tissue, and they activate with high affinity. That means they strongly, strongly, strongly influence class switching for antibody production out of these B cells. So remember that. So they're the T cells that go to, or 
maybe even vice versa. We like to think of T-Sales as the king of the castle of the throne because sales come and present to them. But <laughs> these cells uh, will migrate with these B uh, follicular cells and then they have post-activation where they influence this class switching. Next, you have these non-follicular T-cells, which are any T-cells uh, that does not go on to promote this high affinity towards B-cells, which are programmed um, to actually uh, egress to the lymph tissue uh, so that it'll orchestrate more innate immunity. You mean so egress out of responses. the lymphoid organs? Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry, egress out of those lymphoid tissues. Uh, but again, they'll orchestrate innate immunity or increase innate immune responses uh, to the site of pathogenic entry. So that's your Th1 cells, uh, Th2 cells, Th17 cells, regulatory C cells even. So it'll leave the secondary lymphoid organs uh, for post-activation. That's right. Yeah. So based on whether to leave the, the lymphoid organ or not, we can have follicular or non-follicular. Um, so yeah, these are kinds of helper T cells. When they have, we have all, we also have cytotoxic T cells, but not going to discuss them today. Um, generally, the way the the way uh, T cells get activated is that let's say there is a naive T cell. A naive T cell is the one which has never encountered an antigen. This naive T cell is in the is a is in a secondary lymphoid organ like lymph nodes or spleen it will receive a lot of antigens throughout the day through the lymph lymphatic system. And let's say one day it gets lucky and it finds its binding partner. When it gets the binding partner, it, it needs to receive it, not directly free-floating uh, antigen. That's what B cells do. B cells get free-floating antigens. The way T cells get their antigen is through antigen-presenting cells, which display these chopped up antigens as peptides uh, as a part of the major histocompatibility complex. When the MHC and antigen, it presents to the T-cell and the T-cell recognizes it, the T-cell is also looking for a co-stimulation. And this is a very nice time to plug in our first journal club <laughs> uh, that we did on YouTube about CD28, the what uh, how important CD28 is, which is a co-stimulation requirement for T-cells to have a memory response but anyway yeah they also look for co-stimulation and if they have both co-stimulation and the antigen uh, presented on mhc they get activated now once the t-cell is activated it can become a follicular t-cell it can become a non-follicular t-cell and the conventional wisdom is that the cytokine environment around decides the fate of the t-cell However, we're going to find something different in this paper again. Um, but yeah, that's normally how T-cell activation takes place. Now, going into the introduction for this paper, it was always thought that most T-cells require interleukin-2 or IL-2 for cell division and to maintain an activated state, at least initially, right? These cells, so these, these uh, T-cells that require IL-2, they include T-helper-1 cells, T-helper-2 cells. Um, just for anybody who is listening to these terms or hearing these terms for the first time, T-helper-1, T-helper-2, or T-helper-17, these are T-cells that have a very unique profile of transcription factors, a unique profile of the cytokines they secrete, a unique profile of the receptors they express. And based on this profile, 
they could be more geared towards fighting intracellular pathogens, which are T helper one cells, or fighting more fighting towards parasitic infections, which are T helper two cells, or fighting mu- or providing mucosal immunity and providing uh, staying in the mucosa, which are mostly T helper seventeen cells. And yeah, depending on which kind of cells, they could be making different cytokines. But I have known that T helper one and two cells they do require IL two. T helper 17 cells do have a slightly different requirement, which we will, uh, I'll just brush through it. They require another cytokine called interleukin 21 instead of interleukin 2. Since we are talking about cytokines a lot here, I'll say it is essential to know that this world of cytokines is a very complicated one. It's not easy if you are just starting to listen to these. These will, these will sound very confusing. And I understand that I've been there. Anthea, you have been there too, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, this, yes. It's like a speaking a foreign yeah, language. Yeah, <laughs> it's like speaking a foreign language. So if you want, if you are just getting into immunology and you hear a lot of these random cytokine names, interleukins, chemokines, uh, whatnot, um, to understand them better, I think there are four parts or four components for each cytokine that you should know that will help you understand these things better instead of just looking at them as random names first try to know what structural family a cytokine belongs to and what are their subunits try to find out what is the receptor a lot of cytokines share receptors a lot of cytokines also share their subunits then try to find out what are the intracellular signaling elements so a lot of cytokines share intracellular signaling elements. Some cytokines use Janus kinase pathway, certain cytokines use MAP kinase pathway, and there is a lot. And in the end, you should also know how the cytokines are regulated. How are the signaling regulated? Could it be through the intracellular signaling elements? Could it be through various varying receptor expression? Could it be through the regulation of the cytokine expression itself? If you know these four parts about a cytokine i think you know enough to study about it in a in a deeper way and you have a broad understanding of what this cytokine does how it uh, it signals coming back from just uh, overview of cytokines this paper has quite a lot of interesting findings we're going to see the relation between interleukin 2 expression the signaling and the phenotype t cells display when they either make interleukin 2 or when they signal with interleukin 2. Anthea, are you ready to get into the paper? I am ready, Jatin. All right, let's do it. In the first figure, we have the authors generating these mice that have an enhanced GFP cassette. So when I say a cassette, it's like a DNA segment that is right inserted right into the interleukin 2 exon. That means every time a cell produces or expresses interleukin-2, at the same time, it will also produce GFP. That means every time you you want to look at IL-2 producing cells, all you need to check is if they are fluorescing green or not. This is done because looking for cytokine expression, cytokines are secreted proteins. Like you, you have a cell producing IL-2, it's not going to stay inside the cell forever. There is a very transient time where it will be inside the cell. After a while, it's just going to be released, like secreted outside. So the best way is to just have another marker, a surrogate marker that will, that can be seen like a colorful marker as GFP. 
And also too, uh, just to insert a little side note, um, most cytokines have a pretty short half-life. Oh yeah. So they'll act a limited time, and this is so uh, the system in which it's acting upon won't become dysregulated or prolonged or excessive, just like inflammation. So it has a short, um, it has a short half-life, uh, so that it can get its job done and shut off signals, so that everything is properly regulated. And short, short half-life cytokines are good because they do their job and then they just disappear. They get job, they get destroyed. In some cases, remember, right? <laughs> <laughs> remember, we we just uh, got hip to uh, some cells that just go on <laughs> and doesn't even uh, uh, undergo program cell death. Remember, we were reading that paper. Oh yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I wish cytokines had a bigger half-life because I couldn't check the <laughs> the cytokines in my serum that day. Uh, that, oh, that my yeah. serum, they just did not have any cytokines because I was I didn't store them properly. Yeah. That was my mistake. Be careful when you store serum, guys. <laughs> Coming back to the paper, uh, the first uh, first question that the authors are asking is, what is what are the differentially expressed genes? between those T-cells that produce IL-2 and those T-cells that do not produce IL-2. So they go for RNA-seq and they find out, so they find out a lot of genes, but I'm going to just point out two differentially expressed genes on both sides. So they're looking at GFP-positive T-cells, which again are IL-2-producing T-cells, and GFP-negative T-cells, which build with those that do not produce IL-2. They find a transcription factor called BCL6 and a, a co-stimulatory ligand called CD40L. In those populations that are GFP positive, let me tell you, BCL6, if you have never heard of this, well, I hope you never forget about this uh, transcription factor yeah. because BCL6 it's, is the master transcription factor master transcription for factor. T follicular <laughs> helper cells this thing when it's when it's activated inside t cells it makes sure the t cell develops into a follicular t cell and then cd40l is a ligand for cd40 and guess which type of cells display cd40 the b cells so b cells depend on co-stimulation from t cells as well through cd40l and these are very strong markers for uh, for yeah. T cells that will become follicular cells. So these are not exclusive markers for follicular T cells, but yeah, these are somewhat predecessors or precursors right. of uh, follicular T cells. On the other side, in the in the uh, fraction of T cells that do not produce uh, IL-2, that is GFP negative T cells, we've got BLIMP1, B-L-I-M-P-1, and S1P1R. Again, random names, but let me let me tell you, <laughs> Blimp1 is the antagonist for BCL6. Blimp1 expression makes sure BCL6 does not get activated. So this is like a non-follicular helper program that is activated in these in certain T cells that are not producing IL2. S1P1R also called sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor. Wait, is it phosphate? Yep. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going by your word because I just forgot what's P for. Yeah, <laughs> assuming it's phosphate 1 receptor, 
this is the receptor required for egress of t-cells and guess which kind of t-cells get out of lymph nodes or spleen these are non-follicular t-cells so based on this finding it looks like most of the il2 producing t-cells are precursors of follicular t-cells and most of the non-il2 producers are non-follicular t-cells and one thing too that you can think of it as is uh, BCL6 mm -hmm. is like you said a master transcription factor and it leads to these T helper cells uh, becoming these T follicular um, helper cells mm -hmm. right and then you have opposite which is your blimp one which usually suppresses that um, transcription activation yeah, of BCL6 yeah. uh, Right, and it's mainly in non-follicular uh, T cells. So when you think about it, it's like this opposition expression, all because of IL two. And of course, it's always little other players yeah. involved. But of course, you know, sticking to this paper and this topic, IL two is a main influence um, that creates these follicular T helper cells. Yeah. And based on just this experiment, the authors, they are speculating that it's probably that IL-2 expression is restricted to those T cells that express BCL-6, that is the precursors of T follicular helper cells. The reason I'm calling precursors of T follicular helper cells is that there are a lot more markers that are used for, um, that are used for closing in on T follicular helper cells. BCL6 is one of those markers, but just based on BCL6, you cannot pinpoint T follicular helper cells. So I like that these authors are being very clear about these markers. Yeah, yeah, you have to be safe. <laughs> and what are they doing in the next figure? So it looks like the authors are actually um, looking at the position in the genome where BL, uh, BCL6 and the blimp one are acting. Oh yeah, so they want they want to find out where exactly in the genome BCL6 and BLIMP are, are acting and are they are they anyway impacting interleukin 2? So here we come into some epigenetic part, which I I like epigenetics a lot yes. and I wish one day I get to work with epigenetics as well. I've always wanted to do a uh, chip PCR, seriously. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just all the little spikes, everything is pretty much a flat line until you get some type of, yeah. so you get these little spikes. And it, it seems like it's pretty straightforward to uh, interpret, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm and, and I'm sure if I talk to a geneticist or anyone who works in molecular biology, they're like, no, no it's not a that. lot more. <laughs> it's, it's, the grass is greener <laughs> on the other side. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so first the authors are looking for something called open chromatin regions. Open chromatin regions are those regions that are where the histone and the DNA interaction is kind of loose, so enzymes can act on this DNA for replication and for transcription. This is something we also discussed in a previous episode, one of our Immunology 101 episode, we discussed how chromatin regions, open and closed chromatin regions decide with the fate of a T-cell uh, or just any cell, not just T-cell, any cell. Right. Why is a T-cell right. different from a B-cell when they essentially have the same genome? Yep. To find out, so in this, in this paper, to find out what all open chromatin regions are because only when a region is open, you can check whether transcription factor is acting there or not transcription factors do not act on right. closed regions. 
they find out they use this technique called attack seek assay for transposase accessible chromatin with high throughput sequencing it's a pretty cool technique but in short in short what it does is it uses uh, an enzyme called a transposase a, a transpose specific transpose is called TN5. These transposes is what they do is when they have DNA fragments that they recognize, they cut them and they paste them somewhere else. This TN5 is a very hyperactive transposes. So whenever it find it finds its uh, its cognate DNA sequence, it goes crazy. It chops it up and I mean not chops it, it's like it snips it and then pastes it somewhere else. To sequence open chromatin regions, what we do is we put a lot of adapter DNAs. Adapter DNAs are specific DNAs that the TN5 recognizes. And as soon as this TN5 recognizes adapter DNA, it's going to take this and it's going to paste, try to paste it between genome uh, sequences. A lot of a lot of uh, places inside the genome is going to try to paste it. However, this enzyme can only work in open chromatin regions. It cannot work on closed chromatin regions. Therefore, after a while, this TN5 would have pasted this adapter DNA in about every place in the genome or the DNA sample that you've provided, which is open. And then using the adapter sequence, which is known to us, we can sequence the genome. We can see where all this enzyme put this adapter DNA, and you can find out what are the chrome open chromatin regions. It's a pretty cool technique. And they find out that there are certain certain DNA sequences upstream of the IL-2 promoter. Promoter, again, place where the RNA trans, uh, what is that, polymerase binds. So upstream of the IL-2 promoter, they find that there are some places that are in open, uh, open chromatin conformation and they look at BCL6 and BLIMP1 winding through it. And Anthea, what do they find? They find that the differences, or this means rather that the BCL6 is actually acting on an activator of IL-2 production. Yeah, they find that both BCL6 and BLIMP1 do bind to this sequence, which we call an enhancer. So BCL6, when it binds, it acts on the enhancer, it upregulates IL-2 production. They found that the more BCL6 that bound to the enhancer region, um, for anybody who doesn't know what an enhancer is, it is a DNA segment where when a transcription factor uh, binds, it can increase the transcription of a certain gene by many folds. So BCL6 is acting uh, on this enhancer element and increasing IL-2 production. Thing is, this enhancer region is also a repressor region when another when when a different transcription factor has this this is pretty crazy this same dna segment yeah. can act as a an enhancer when bcl6 a, uh, binds to it but it acts as a repressor when blimp1 act adds to it so this is the same site where both of these are competing for and of course not yeah. competing as in i don't think uh, a single cell has both of these transcription factors uh in the same amounts at the same time so yeah there, there is literal evidence here that these transcription factors bind to the enhancers of the IL-2 and either upregulate or downregulate IL-2 expression. I, I love this. And, I love and, this one. But yeah, going coming to the next figure. Now, 
the authors want to know what specifically among the non-follicle, non-t-follicular uh, sections or uh, fra- uh, fractions of the T cells, how how is IL-2 production changed when different T cell polarizing conditions are given? When I say polarizing, I mean T cells that are polarized to a T helper one phenotype or a T helper two phenotype or a T helper seventeen phenotype. Normally, interleukin twelve and a TCR activation gives rise to a T helper one phenotype. IL four can give rise to a T helper two phenotype, and IL six with either IL one or TGF beta. Well, I'm throwing a random, a lot of random cytokines out there, but yeah, <laughs> at one point you guys will just know these things if you are in this field for long enough. Yeah, so yeah, IL six, TGF beta, IL one, even IL twenty three. This these four cytokines together they can give rise to a t helper 17 phenotype so i wonder mm-hmm. i wonder why uh they chose il6 and tgf beta seems like as progressive as the t you know th17 studies have been it seems like they could have used other markers don't you think i mean i could be totally wrong it could be a totally logical explanation for it i feel like il6 and tgf beta they are they're good enough to induce t helper 17 cells uh yeah but you know when you want a strong th17 response it's like there there could be other ways Mm -hmm. i guess yeah well yeah but this is fine (laughs) i'm fine with it i'm just i'm just wondering (laughs) yeah maybe 23 could have been given yeah like 23 Mm -hmm. like 23 but coming back here, so we have different conditions under which we are uh, polarizing activated T cells to T helper 1, 2, or 17. And then they're looking at IL-2 production, same way using the GFP uh, expression. And guess what? They find they find something uh, very similar to what we just see, we have just seen. T helper 1 and T helper 2 cells, they don't make a lot of IL-2. But surprisingly, T helper 17 cells make a lot of IL-2, <laughs> which is, so these are non-follicular T cells, right? These, these, these don't, I don't think T helper 17 stay in the follicle. And, and the weird thing is that IL-2 is actually, it actually suppresses the T helper 17 phenotype. So it's weird that these T cells don't take in, they don't accept the signal from IL-2. They don't have the receptor for IL-2, but they make IL-2. And T helper 17 cells also had the highest BCL6 expression. BCL6 is a mostly a, a follicular T cell mark uh, transcription factor, but they found that T helper 17 cells also had that. And just to point out here, T helper 17 cells, they share a lot of features with the follicular helper cells. First, they do express BCL6 similarly. I don't think to that extent, but they do. And they depend on interleukin 21 for their growth. Both T follicular helper and T helper 17 cells, they depend on interleukin 21 for their growth instead of IL-2. They also require IL-6 for differentiation. These are very commonalities. So it makes me wonder if there is a common precursor to T helper 17 and T follicular helper cells. Or or maybe Jatin, uh, the, are the, are the, they're using mice, right? Yeah. 
Okay, maybe these mice have an autoimmune disease, <laughs> right? High TH17 uh, and, and high responses to IL-2. Sounds like they may be uh, sick with... Oh, no, I, th I think they some, use V6 some... mice, healthy and non-autoimmune oh, V6 oh. mice. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, anyway, so this was, this was their finding. They find that, again, in TLP17 cells, we have... So they call it co-segregation. They say that only cells that are positive for BCL6 are making interleukin-2. And in this case, these are wow. TLP17 cells as well. But all that is good. How does it affect? What happens in vivo? See, all, all this time, they were running these experiments right. in vitro. They were taking these cells outside the animal. Then they were running experiments on a dish. They're activating. They're activating these T cells using anti-CD3, anti-CD28, which is not how things happen inside our body. Inside our body, we don't have anti-CD3 activating your T cell. Inside our body, we have real antigens that are presented by antigen-presenting right. cells. So that's their next question. How are things inside in, in vivo? Yep. So next, the authors actually looked at these T cells inside in vivo, like you just mm -hmm. discussed, but this time by stimulating with a bacterial pathogen. So instead of in vitro stimulation, they wanted to act a deficient listeria monocytogenes. Mm -hmm. What a tongue twister. Yeah, act a deficient listeria monocytogenes. <laughs> say it again. Oh, say no, it again no, I won't say fast. that. So yeah, that, that's a pathogen. <laughs> Act A deficient. Probably, I, I think that's just a non-lethal form. Yeah. And it's made to express. Yeah. This pathogen is made to express a peptide from ovalbumin called GP sixty six. Yep. So they transfer GP sixty six specific T cells um, in the mice, I think, and then they looked at the antigen specific responses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then they check for a CD25 expression. Yeah, so right in so this is CD GP66 is a fragment of ovalbumin uh, that is gen that when presented by an APC, T cells that are specific to GP66 can can uh, recognize that and then they can activate it against get activated against all those cells that are infected by Listeria monocytogenes, which I believe is right. an intracellular pathogen, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, then I'm not going to check that. Yeah, so intracellular pathogen. So, yeah, T cells. So, they transferred GP60 specific T cells. They're not waiting for just having a random chance that this mouse has T cells that are specific to GP66. They are using T cells that they know can recognize this. And they're looking for CD25 expression. Here comes the deal CD25 is the high affinity interleukin 2 receptor. There is also a moderate affinity interleukin-2 receptor that is expressed by most T-cells, but this high affinity receptor is expressed by activated T-cells and what Anthea was talking about previously, regulatory T-cells. Yes. So when... Definitely. Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, when... So right, You go. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I, I just wanted to point out that, like you said, CD25 is also... Um, uh, something that is looked at in in the identification of regulatory T cells as well too. So it's going to be the Fox P3 positive, CD25 positive, CD4 positive, <laughs> and the rest of the profile for regulatory T cells. So again, when we talk about this competition uh, with IL-2 to um, 
utilize IL-2 in regulatory T-cells or effector T-cells, uh, they compete for the same um, prize, which is the IL-2, with the CD25 uh, Yeah, so if, let's say, a regulatory T-cell which has CD25 and versus an effector T-cell that does not have CD25, when they compete for IL-2, this high affinity receptor CD25 is going to hog all the IL-2 in the environment. Yeah and it's going to deplete it for those that do not have CD25. So this CD25, it gives an advantage to these T-cells for taking up the IL-2 in their environment. And yeah, going uh, later, they also, so they also look at something called PSTAT5. So IL-2 signaling takes place this way. You have an interleukin-2 protein, the cytokine binds on the receptor the receptor is made up of three subunits. For now, just let's say three subunits, one of which is a CD25. Inside the cell, on the intracellular domain of this interleukin-2 receptor, there is something called a Janus kinase, which is a kinase enzyme. These Janus kinase enzymes phosphorylate certain STAT proteins. This is how JAK-STAT signaling takes place. Yeah, they auto-phosphorylate. Oh yeah, so they auto-phosphorylate yeah. and then they have these docking sites for stat proteins to bind on them the stat proteins come in contact on the jacks then the jacks phosphorylate the stat proteins and we get these p stats or phosphorylated stat proteins overall there are six or seven types of uh, stats stat one two three four five a five b and six interleukin 2 utilizes stat 5 and it's activated stat would be p stat 5 so they're looking for p stat 5 to check for IL-2 signaling. If there is phosphorylated STAT5, then that means there is active IL-2 signaling taking place inside the cell. And guess what they find? They find that, of course, uh, CD25 cells, uh, when cells are expressing CD25, they also had PSTAT5 uh, expression, which you would expect as Interleukin-2 signaling is, of course, going to make it higher. They found that uh, they, fi- they found that IL-2 producers were very different T cells than IL-2 pr- responders. That means T cells that were making IL-2 did not have PSTAT5 and CD25 expression, but T cells that were not making IL-2 did have CD25 expression and did have PSTAT5. So these IL-2 production and signaling are mutually exclusive, exclusively done by different uh, T-cells. And you know what that means? This is more of a paracrine signaling model. In paracrine signaling, one cell secretes the factor and the other cell responds to it. And this is this is where I found, I found that everything I knew about T-cells is not the most correct version of it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, one thing I want to add too is that uh, activated STAT5 or PSTAT5 is also a transcription factor. So like we talked about before um, with the BCL6, which is a master transcription factor, um, activated STAT5 is also a transcription factor too. So if you think about the JAT-STAT pathway, when these intracellular markers or protein becomes activated, 
then goes inside the nucleus and activates transcription of further um mostly inflammatory responses uh i can say with jack sat signaling uh so you have like your interferons um you'll have other interleukins so now that specific cell uh is functional in its response to whatever the stimulation will be which is again the il2 mm-hmm. bcl6 stat5 so forth and so forth yep so so far we have known we have seen that there are these uh, follicular and non-follicular t cells that are doing different things they're make either making il2 or responding to them next the authors want to know what is this factor what is the factor that's how do the t-cells know whether they want to be a follicular t-cell or a non-follicular t-cell how are they determining this based on literature peer peer mm-hmm. pressure <laughs> oh yeah peer <laughs> pressure <laughs> like to be different they want they want to be they don't want to do the same thing <laughs> right <laughs> yeah a- anyway so based on literature we know that antigen availability tcr affinity towards the antigen the strength of co-stimulation in cytokine environment, these are some of the factors that do decide whether a T-cell goes on to become a follicular or a non-follicular T-cell. But these authors want to run an experiment, so they are running a similar experiment with the OVA GP66 peptide-specific T-cells. Again, you have the antigen, the ACT-A deficient Listeria monocytogenes, which will express GP66. Now, here, they are using two different, uh, oh wait, no, not in this one. In this one, they are adding different dosage of this antigen, GP66, right? And they're trying to see if changing the dosage of the of this GP66 alters the ratio, the relative ratio of follicular and non-follicular T cells. They found that at, as the they found that increase they found increased T follicular helper numbers IL2 expressing cells as the dose increased so that means increasing the dose of the antigen is favoring the development of follicular helper cells mm. mm-hmm. the plot thickens. Yeah. so <laughs> right here um, now they know that the dosage is affecting and we know that higher dosage, uh, higher availability of the peptide is favoring uh, follicular helper cells compared to non-follicular helper cells. Next, they want to test the affinity of the T-cell. Is that a factor in determining the fate of the T-cell? Here they're using two types of T-cells. One T-cell that responds specifically to the GP66 peptide, the same T-cell that we have been talking about so far, but now they're using a second T-cell which uh, responds to just ovalbumin generally. So this is, not, this is not specific to GP66. This T-cell just recognizes most of the fractions of ovalbumin. That means it has a low affinity compared uh, for GP66 because it just somewhat recognizes the protein overall any fragment of the protein and this would be a good test for affinity right so if right if you have when you give a stimulation with gp66 specifically t cells that are specific to gp66 only they have a higher affinity they will grab onto this antigen much more quickly than generally over specific t cells and guess what they find 
they again find that these high affinity TCR interactions give rise to m- much more to T follicular helper cells than non T follicular helper cells. So T right. cells that are specific to GP66, they they were they were more likely to turn into a T follicular helper cell than non follicular helper cell compared to the over reacting T cells which were not as likely to turn into T follicular helper cells. So far we have found out two determines two factors the dosage of the antigen the affinity of the T cell receptor both as they increase the more likely T follicular helper cells increase i i love this i love this it means it so what they're saying is if you have a very all those T cells that are more specific to the antigen they're more likely to turn into follicular helper C cell they're more likely to make IL-2 and they're more likely to help B cells in the follicle. So it all makes sense, yeah. right? Because when you are when you're expanding <laughs> B cells, you want to have the you want to have the highest affinity T cells against the same antigen so that you have the right kind of B cells being amplified, being uh, expanded. And it also says uh, in some of the notes of this paper, um, when you talk about just this affinity towards uh, signal, that their findings suggest that only those T cells that um, exceeded a minimum TCR signaling intensity produce IL-2 as oh, well. Oh, yeah. So that's linking the follicular T cells and non-follicular T cells uh, to a threshold of that TCR signaling. Yeah, they, they mentioned there's a threshold. So the reason I did not decide, I decided not to uh, discuss that uh, figure just because I didn't want to overwhelm everybody who was listening to it oh, yeah. but yeah <laughs> this paper has a lot of things a slightly more things than we are discussing here we're just trying to go for the creamy layer and make it easier for everybody to understand creamy layer <laughs> I gotta uh, use that yep. word <laughs> Anthea do you want to uh, discuss their last finding Yep, so uh, next they looked at the cell cycle in these two different types of cell T-cell phenotypes. So uh, not all the activated T-cells undergo rapid proliferation. So it's known that the uh, MYC or the MY or MYC. M-Y-C, M-Y-C, MYC. <laughs> yeah, that's a very weird oh, well, name. MYC, MYC. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the MYC gene expression is actually uh, directly correlated with the number of cell divisions. So it also is correlated with that TL, uh, TCR signaling uh, that we talked about just a minute ago and the strength and that correlation with CD69 expression. Yeah, CD69, just like CD25, is another marker of yep. activation. If you, if you are in your lab, you want to look at T-cells that are activated, just check for CD69 expression. It will go up as the T-cells interact, uh, <laughs> as they get activated. Yeah. So based on the results uh, so far, you can assume that these IL-2 producing uh, follicular T cells um, are very likely to be actively dividing as well. So not only are they having the strong affinity towards this TCR signaling, but they also rapidly proliferate uh, more than its counterpart. That's right, so yeah. They found since, that, since, since we yeah. know that MIC is a cell cycle gene, and since MIG gene expression is directly correlated with number of cell division and it's also correlated with TCR signal strength, we just we just saw that T follicular helper cells develop when they have a higher TCR signal strength. So it's you would 
hypothesize that these are also the cells that are rapidly dividing, right? Yep. So they look at these E2F cell cycle gene. If and very very good place to plug in our last journal club. <laughs> so Tanu was discussing about the E2F cell cycle genes uh, in our last episode where uh, of the journal club. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. We discussed about oncolytic viruses and how they are how they were targeting the E2F and riboblastoma uh, retinoblastoma pathway to target tumor specifically so yeah e2f is a cell cycle is a cell cycle proteins they are required they are they need to be freed from the grasp of riboblastoma to allow transcription fact uh, to allow uh, replication cell division right and they found that these e2f cell cycle gene family members were strongly enriched in those t cells that produced high IL2 which is the follicular helper T cell they were enriched more in those that were producing IL2 than those that don't produce IL2 I find this this whole study very contradictory to what I've always learned about IL2 being a growth factor here it seems like IL2 producing T cells are dividing more than the responders it makes me question everything I've learned about about T cells. <laughs> yeah, I think, but I think also too, what we want to keep in mind is that it depends on the environment as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because uh, there, there are studies to show that dendritic cells also produce um, IL2 oh, yeah. as well. You know, so if you think about the gut, for instance, you know, <laughs> when you have. Um, um, autoimmune diseases of the gut, and I know I, I'm stuck on <laughs> autoimmune diseases, but that that is just the uh, the the way to start with understanding this whole signal mechanism. But uh, when you think about the gut and you have excessive inflammation there, and dendritic cells are actually the primary activators of T cells. Yep. So when we think about this whole naive T cell moving into being either a follicular uh, T helper cell or non-follicular T helper cell, you know, what influences are kind of skewed or bias in places like the gut when the dendritic cells, which are also IL-2 producers, uh, maybe not in as much abundance. I'm not really actually sure about the levels mm-hmm. there, but you know, I, I definitely think it depends on the environment. Yeah. Well. Also, it doesn't mean that. So the only thing they said is that IL-2 producers are dividing more than non-IL-2 producers. It does not mean. Right. So it doesn't mean the non-IL-2 producers are not dividing. They are also dividing. And again, we have to see it's yeah. not just about being producing or responding. We also have to notice that the non the IL-2 producers are also the ones that are receiving a higher TCR strength. So that could be why they are dividing more. And producing IL-2 may not have anything to do with their division. Yeah. I just really would love to see some of this uh, done in regulatory T cells. Yeah, I, 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 so I don't remember seeing any information about uh, regulatory T cells because I know IL two is a definitely a growth factor for regulatory T cells, and they do not make IL two. It's known that they don't make IL two. Right. Oh, and that brings us to the end of this paper. What a great. This paper read. was a. 
feel like I'm so yeah it's a gold mine <laughs> this was a gold mine of just valuable information that I am sure I'm not going to forget for the rest of my career no <laughs> and what paper uh, was this published this in? This was let me let what me journal, check. I mean? This was Science 2018. Yep. Wow. Hopefully you guys get to check out the link to this paper because the um, imagery is like even more fantastic than the words we can apply to uh, some some of the data here because they they have a whole pathway mechanism from bees yeah they have a pretty good graphical abstract just draw <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right right before we wrap this up uh, anthea do you want to quickly summarize the key points if anybody slept for the first 40 50 minutes that we have been rambling on what did they miss <laughs> So if you slept, shame on you, number one. <laughs> number two, <laughs> some of the things that uh, we want to summarize with this paper is that IL-2 production is mostly restricted to BCL-6 positive T cells that eventually become follicular T helper cells. TH17 cells um, also share some similarities with T follicular um, helper cells, including BCL-6 and also um, IL-2 expression. Uh, but also IL-2 producers and IL-2 responders, which are mutually exclusive cells. You know, they're not dating, they're mutually mm -hmm. exclusive. <laughs> Therefore, uh, IL-2 signaling is uh, mostly uh, paracrine. Yep. I'm sure there is some autocrine signaling taking place, as you said, but based yeah. on this data, it looks like it's predominant, predominantly paracrine. Yeah. I definitely think there's a lot of um, autocrine signal, but I wonder how you would kind of test that, right? How would you? But then, just like they did, they, what what they did here, uh, GFP tagging of IL two producers and then staining oh, okay. of PSTAT yeah. five. From their study, yeah, it does look like right. no, unless IL two un unless CD twenty uh, without CD twenty five IL two expression, IL two signaling takes place through something other than PSTAT five. In that case, mm -hmm. you could say that. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, also, TCR or T cell receptor strength and antigen availability directly correlates with high IL-2 expression uh, T cell numbers. So the more T cell numbers, high IL-2 expression, and this affinity or strength of TCR signaling um, causes for this antigen availability, mm -hmm. or th this whole thing correlates right. rather. Lastly, IL-2 producing T cells divide way more rapidly than those that respond to IL-2. And with that, I am going to throw out everything I've learned back <laughs> in my life. <laughs> this was a crazy paper. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Anthea, for joining me today. Thanks for Anybody who's me. watching this, please uh, do check out the other episodes on our Immunology 101 uh, list. We only have four Immunology 101 uh, episodes so far. We are planning to do gene rearrangement very soon. Also, check out our journal clubs next. Anthea is presenting next. Have you decided your paper? I am presenting. I am narrowing down the papers mm -hmm. I would like to present. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll pick one soon. Um, please stay tuned for that. We're going to have lots and lots of fun. Yeah, 20... 27 22nd voice. august save the date that's a journal club now you save the date for journal yep. clubs that's how nerdy everybody has become <laughs>
<laughs> at it's, 10 a.m. Remember? 10 a.m. Eastern 10 time. 10 a.m. Eastern time. If anybody doesn't know what's Eastern time, it's ne- minus 4 GMT. That's what it is. If What? What is that? You don't know what's GMT? Come on. That, that's four hours before London time. Greenwich Mean Time. Oh, okay. Everything. Oh, so I, okay. I, I had, I'm, I'm very good at converting time now because I have to constantly talk to my uh, family in India, and they are at oh. plus five thirty GMT. So I'm, I'm pretty good at converting time. I don't need any clocks oh, now. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> you can just tell me three hours beforehand. Oh yeah, okay? <laughs> five hours before. <laughs> but we are in the same time zone, cool. so that's all right. Wait, you are in the yeah. Eastern time zone, right? <laughs> Yep, all right yeah I, I always thought i don't know where ohio is it's somewhere in the center <laughs> it's somewhere in the you know the the only state that you need to um remember is michigan That's... because i am a go blue michigan resident born well sorry not resident but born and raised in michigan so <laughs> ohio is just temporary i'm just joking okay though. thanks ohio appreciate yeah. you <laughs> for giving you a job there <laughs> <laughs> right all right and let's wrap this okay. up see you all guys bye bye bye